Okay, so at my house, we have uh, a lot, well, I'm on five acres, a lot of it's pasture, and there's all sorts of uh, grass and weeds of different kinds. And so this last year, we were able to renovate this old horse barn, and we were going to make it a rental. Turned out, Lynn, my wife, liked it so much, we just moved into it. So doing so, we had to plant some new flowers around it, and we've never done that before. And so we're planting stuff. Well, now about six weeks, seven weeks later, there's a bunch of different weeds popping up among the different flowers. And that's been interesting, right? So I use, I use this weed tool I have here, and um, I just get at them, right? And like, get that stuff out of there, working carefully, you know, so I don't uproot what I've planted. But then also... We are just trying to keep it clear. Well, also around this barn, which if you're at the house at some point, I'll have to show you whenever you visit. There's these different sections that I haven't mowed in the past because uh, I just, we just didn't go over that way. And so there would be weeds. At last summer, I was like, oh, I got to mow. Because we're about to like, it's getting worked on. And so there was a weed almost as high as this table. Uh, massive leaves. Like, I don't know the name of it and all that stuff. I can't give you that good of details, but it was massive. Like, I tried the weed eater on it and the, um, the spinner, the, 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 the wire, like, broke. Like, it just didn't work. Um, I tried using a, a, a lopper, like that pruning shear stuff, and it wasn't even cutting the, the, the uh, whatever that would be, the, of the wheat, or of the weed, because it was that massive. So I just took the lawnmower and just went to town on it and destroyed it, took it all the way down to the ground. And this, this spring is the first time I've been mowing over that area before it grows high. And uh, I, I was noting like, oh, that's where that is. And you can see the little bits of it. And I know I should pull it up. Some of you are like freaking out right now, like, why haven't you removed this? Well, I kind of wanted to see what does it look like when, uh, when it's the first week or first month of growth. Anyway, Working through this, I don't know if you're like me, but there's all these different weeds you got to take care of. What we learn in scripture this morning is the importance of taking out these weeds that are hindering our spiritual life. And we all have them. They come in different shapes and sizes. They look different. They will um, manifest themselves differently for you or for me. There's some similarities that we'll talk through this morning but what we learn is the importance of taking those out and taking them out early. If you wait, uh, months or years, the, uh, it's more challenging. It's not just as simple as a quick uh, snip and then it's gone. Instead, it requires more work. There's more devastation and all sorts of stuff. So we're going to look at this passage and it's going to teach us about the value and the importance and how we are to remove these weeds from our lives. All right. So if you have your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 19. I'm going to let you keep opening it because I'm trying to get to it myself. Okay, so in Acts chapter 19, we see uh, this story. So let's read the starting verse one. And it happened while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Okay, so that's where we're talking about this, uh, this group in the city of Ephesus. There he found some disciples... And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? 
And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into then what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, then they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in awe. All right, so I want to pause there uh, to help us just look at this. So Ephesus is a famous church in the New Testament. This church has some of the, either, either the most written kind of about it in different ways or one of the most. You have Timothy, he pastored there. Paul did ministry there. Uh, the apostle John later in life historically did work there. Possibly Jesus' mother Mary was involved in there. A lot of history here with uh, all that occurred. Even uh, they, they were like the, the, the uh, they pumped out Christian leaders and thinkers in ways that others hadn't. So much that they were, I, I, don't, I don't know of any seminary that was there in an official capacity, but they were strong in their theology. So much that even in Revelation it says, you have been fantastic in that area, but you've lost your first love. If you remember that church that's described. So this church in Ephesus is a strong church, and the believers here, they experienced an encounter similar to what we read a couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 2, and also what we see in Acts chapter 10, uh, when, in that case, it's with the family of Cornelius. But in these three instances, we have believers who encounter this unique baptism of the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in tongues and prophesying, and all that is happening in this, in this moment, in, in this story. Now, they had to replace their current understanding of God with a new and correct understanding of God. If you recall, they, they, they were unfamiliar. They hadn't even heard of who the Holy Spirit is. So their previous understanding, it was well-intentioned, but it still needed to be strengthened and actually corrected. This same thing that happens in Acts 19 happens, at least in my Bible, uh, one, well, all of our Bibles. Um, for me, it's the same page. But one paragraph before, at the end of chapter 18, you have this guy named Apollos that we read a moment ago. He is this great preacher, but he had never learned about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he gets to learn that and be corrected in that way. And God uses him in amazing ways uh, that we read throughout in different moments of the, of the New Testament. Well, this, this little portion here leads us to the first of four different weeds that I want us to talk through. We see four of them, and this first one is the weed of doctrinal impurities that can impact our life. They can infect our lives, our spiritual lives, our spiritual well-being, doctrinal impurities. Let's remember that our beliefs matter. They affect our understanding of God, they affect how we act, and they affect how we make sense of the world. So when Timothy was pastoring this church in Ephesus, Paul wrote a letter to him. He wrote a few. One of those is 1 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy, Paul says this, fight the good fight, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus. When we allow today and throughout church history, when we allow doctrinal impurities to take hold and to grow in our faith, it can sabotage our faith. Paul, in the same letter, 1 Timothy, he wrote this in chapter 1 about these other guys. He says, wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. 
By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, right? Not just they kind of wobbled in a little bit. No, they shipwrecked their own faith. He says, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. It was that intense that Paul is using that language. Well, friends, today we must still diligently cut out weeds that creep into our faith. For instance, you have the weed that denies the Bible as true and authoritative and as the primary mode to know our one true God. Another weed we must cut out is any weed that denies Jesus Christ as the only mediator with God or that Jesus' sacrifice is the only means to atone for our sin. Doctrinally, today, in 2022, I would argue there is no better time to be a Christ follower when it comes to theology because we have 2,000 years of wonderful brilliant thinkers who have been able to develop and hone and strengthen our understanding of our faith. And um, we've been able to see how beautiful and diverse the body of Christ can be in even how they express their faith. And there's a wonderful joy to that. That's why you can go overseas uh, or, I don't know, maybe do another state or something, and you can worship with others, and it may look a little different, feel a little different, but there's that kindred spirit, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful, and you can sense that. And I love that beauty in the differences when there is uh, differences of, the, of just the, uh, the secondary matters. Now, when it comes to cutting out our doctrinal impurities, we need discernment on what is primary versus what is secondary. So we want to fight for the primary and then show grace in the secondary, and we don't want to flip that around. If you flip it around, here's what happens. You show grace in primary beliefs, such as who Jesus Christ is or God's authoritative word. And when you begin to show grace and like, well, yeah, you don't have to totally believe that stuff, well, then you dilute the purity of the gospel. When you fight for secondary beliefs, such as a style of worship, then you enact friendly fire against the beloved. So that's why our church, even in our doctrinal statement, you'll notice if you were to read through it, we have these three phrases. One is in essential beliefs, we have unity, right? We want to hold to those things, lift up those things, celebrate those things. In non-essential beliefs, we have liberty. It's okay for there to be a difference of uh, preference or opinion on certain things that aren't considered essential. And then lastly, in all of our beliefs, we show charity. Okay, so the first weed is doctrinal impurities. How do we cut these out? Well, one is we want to be students of God's word. We want to study and read credible theologians and writers who haven't just written something, but they have a demonstration of fruit from their works, particularly within their generation or or hundreds of years later, you're able to look back and say, this is the outcome of that belief and of that, of whatever, that, yeah, that belief. We want to be weary of those who attack other Christians or only give controversial hot takes. I've seen that consistently just uh, fizzle out and not last. We want to trust those who use their doctrinal convictions to fuel their love for Christ's bride and for the lost. If you recall, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that without love, we are like clinging symbols and we are nothing. So think about Jesus. He was and is, but while he walked on earth, the most knowledgeable theologian who walked on the earth. And yet people were enamored with his love for them. 
we tend to get that balance mixed up. Some people are super uh, brilliant in theology, but they're just jerks to other people. And then others, they just, they like, they love anything. They love a plant, but then they like can't really say, but you know, there is only one way to heaven and that's through Jesus Christ. And so we want to be able to be strong and balanced and have, uh, if there's those doctrinal impurities, we want to weed those out. All right, let's read the second one here. It continues, verse eight. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly. This is Paul. He was reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But, there's always, there's always that but of people. And they, they act like buts, actually. It's pretty funny. All right. Just thought of that in the moment. All right, I won't, I won't use that the next service. All right. But uh, when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with them, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. It's like our only reference to the Tyrannosaurus Rex, like something like, all right. Like. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Okay, let's stop there. This second weed is what I'll call spiritual distractions. We have these spiritual distractions in our life that prevent really fertile growth. If you had a garden, you would want to make sure that stuff is as strong and, uh, again, fertile soil as possible. You wouldn't intentionally be throwing weeds in there. You wouldn't be intentionally covering it with shade unless that's the kind of plant. I don't know. I'm not Mr. Mr. Plant. But you would want it to be as good as possible. Well, this church we read of, they gathered and they learned for two years. If your Bible's like mine, it has a little like number. And then you read at the bottom, it says some translations even say that they gathered from 11 a.m. to uh, 4 p.m. each day. Now, this is not a fast download of information. Two years Five hours, up to five hours a day, gathering and learning. And this is new information for them. So they are learning things freshly in certain ways. But we want to learn from this example and recognize we are prone for what? We want quick change in our lives. When there's the problem, we're going to church tomorrow. It's like, okay, well, I'm glad you're here. But if it has taken you a year to get to the disaster point you're in, then it's not going to change just tomorrow. I mean, there, there can be steps, the first step knowing Christ and working through there, but don't expect for there to be this quick change. We want early church power and clarity, but we barely want to train, right? So we give half-hearted effort to our faith, but we want, well, we want Acts chapter 2 or chapter 19 kind of power. Imagine how strong we in our faith if we gave the same effort to walking with God as we give to other things in our life that I'll label spiritual distractions, particularly if we, if we give this, the same amount. So, so how much time do you give to social media? Uh, how much time do you give to your lawn? Uh, Neil, no, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. well, you said it like 30 minutes ago. Yeah. It was your birthday. Okay, it was your birthday. I, that's right. The Bible says, live like Jesus, except on your birthday. Then, no, I'm just I'm kidding. I'm just messing, not roasting him. I'm actually roasting all of you, but I'm using him as, as that barrier because I can't tell you that personally. Uh, but, you know, it could, be, it could be other things, a side hustle, video games, like I mentioned, my own life, other hobbies, all sorts of things. We have this bad tendency to replace 
the holy which, with that which is meaningless. We, we just tend to do that. We fall into that trap. That's a weed that develops in our own lives. Our relationship with God is the most important aspect of our life. It is the core of our life that flows into everything else. We must protect it. We must guard it. I was mentioning 1 Timothy. That's a wonderful book. If you're looking to read something this week, read 1 Timothy. In, in near the end, Paul implores Timothy, guard this deposit. Why do you have to guard it so much? I mean, he's one generation from the man who knew, knew Christ. And, well, because Satan will do everything he can to, to thwart that and to stifle that. And you're surrounded by all sorts of things. We are today, they were at this time, and he is begging the man that he mentored to pastor this church to guard that deposit. We must do the same. And, and if Paul had to do it, and if Timothy had to do it, you better believe we all got to do it. Those guys, their faith was a kind of a, an, another level of, of, of what I would say is just all of us in the culmination of our commitment in many ways. If we don't take this serious and weed out these distractions, our faith will look like what we read here in verse 9. If you saw these phrases, there's stubbornness, there's continuing in unbelief, there's speaking evil, which could be even, in their case, being so antagonistic to the believers that were gathering in the synagogue. They were so combative that the believers just left. And they're like, we're going to go to the Greek hall of Tyrannus because there's not peace here in the synagogue, even though you are God's people and uh, you've just denied this. We're going to go down into the, our town where they will let us gather. So how do we cut out these weeds of spiritual distractions? Well, first of all, we want to prioritize the big rocks of our day first, and then the less important things then you can add on. And so the tendency is, I'll just get to God's word later today. Uh, I'll get to praying for this situation later when I have more time. Let me focus on, and then what is it uh, for me? Like, let me do the dishes. I'm like, okay, well, you know what? They're, they're going to clean themselves eventually. Even, you know, if I'm really just slobbish, I'll just use a dirty fork. Like, I will still, I will still clean it eventually. But... Don't neglect wonderful time that I can have with God. Another, another step you could do is reminding yourself to spend time with God every day. This could be reading a chapter a day or, or, or maybe the chapter is really long and so you just want to focus on one of the stories, potentially even a verse. It's just that rich. You just really want to chew on it, think through it, read that same verse and, in um, five or ten different versions and just think through it, work through it. We don't want to read or replace that opportunity to read scripture with, say, reading the news or checking stocks or all that other stuff that, like, kind of on a day-in-day -day basis isn't going to fuel your soul. Uh, potentially, a uh, distraction would be certain apps on your phone. And so a step you need to do, just like you would uproot the, the dandelion weed, will uproot the app on your phone by literally deleting it, like just not making that an option to use that. Uh, maybe too, if you're finding you're like, I just kind of struggling, this is a, uh, I'm just not sure. I, I would challenge you to consider taking a break from a certain activity, fast from it from 30 days or for that season, uh, maybe, maybe that quarter of the year, just totally taking a, taking a break from it. You will see how much that pulls for your attention and refill that with something of, of uh, say godliness. Again, I keep going to God's word because it is the manna that we have for each day, but there are other things you could, you could do as well. Okay, so verse 11, let's continue. I want, to see, I want you to see this third weed. This story is, this part of the story is crazy. 
right? Prepare yourself. If you haven't read 19 in a while, chapter 19, uh, get ready for some, for some stuff. Uh, verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. I'm going to come back to that phrase in a, in, in a little later. I love that, though. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. That's amazing. But that's not the crazy part. All right, it continues. Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Well, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit, uh, in the man in whom was the evil spirit, it like left the man, it leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Yeah, you bet yourself, like, that whole town was like, something happened in that house. And what, well, this leads us to this third weed that we can see in our lives, we can allow to manifest. And it's what I call Jesus magic. It's treating Jesus like some magic spell. The name of Jesus, the work of Jesus, and just wanting to sprinkle it on your life or on your situation and then act like now it's gonna now it's gonna work. In this story, they treated Jesus' name like a magic formula, as if they can do whatever they want on their own terms, but then add Jesus on top of it, and then it's honorable, and then it's full of power, and then this person that they were trying to get the demon out of would be healed. They wanted the name or, or they wanted the power of Jesus' name without a relationship with Jesus. They wanted Jesus' power without his lordship over their lives. And lastly, they wanted God's power, but they didn't want their life surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Same phrasing, just worded all different ways. Friends, we're guilty of that same stuff. At all these different points in our life, we can find ourselves acting in a similar way. We try to conjure Jesus' magic in our lives, and we act like it's normal. So we want Christian fruit in our lives, but we give it little labor. We want the change that Jesus can provide, but we want him to work on our terms. We want the power of Jesus manifested in our children's lives or our siblings' lives, uh, the people that we are closest to, our best friends. We want to see that happen, but we treat Jesus like this add-on to our lives. As a church, our goal is to build Christ's legacy for future generations, not a faith just for those of us in the room. And praise the Lord, it's really wonderful, enjoyable. Frankly, it's fun to run the race with all of you who also know Christ, and we can do this together. That is wonderful. But if it just stops with us, then I'd say we missed part of that whole journey. I mean, we have passed the baton to our children and our children's children. We want them to have a faith that, and, and we want to do this, and invest in, in, the, in this eternal treasure that, and I want them to bear fruit that's even better than the fruit in our own lives here in this room. But if we took this objective assessment of what type of legacy we're building, I would argue that perhaps Christ's legacy is like fifth on the list or sixth. It's not necessarily our highest priority when it comes to our lives and what we, what we give. You know, God has blessed 
Greene County with wonderful churches and Christian leaders and pastors who have devoted their lives to want to disciple and teach and train and help people understand what it looks like to become a fully, follower, a fully devoted follower of Christ. And I wondered, are we taking advantage of that in, in a good way? Not taking advantage of somebody, but just making the most of that. Perhaps we're not. And this is the comparison I'm going to use to help us to see this. If we had a, you know, it's, it's green law. Sometimes people come and they retire in this area kind of from uh, pretty, uh, pretty cool backgrounds. So what if we had a pro professional athlete and uh, think of one who's in a sport that your kids might play and they retired in green and then they came to our church and they're like, hey, I'm going to do a workshop for all the kids who play, you know, whatever, football or soccer or baseball, I'm gonna do this workshop. And I, and I in fact, for Legacy, just to, because I love these kids, I wanna mentor them to be the best athletes they can be in this, in this sport. I'm gonna show them everything I, I could do. I'm gonna get these workshops, I'll like meet with them. I wanna come alongside you. I wanna teach you how to show these kids these skills during the week. We'd be like, I will be there. This is a free workshop with a, with a professional who's done this. I will be there. I will, I will be sad that my vacation plans got in the way. Or maybe, maybe uh, think for us as adults, if you had um, a CEO, a Fortune 100 company, retires in town, goes to our church and says, I want to have a business workshop. I want to mentor those who are business leaders in our church and just help them be successful. You'd be like, I'm signing up. And this, is, this stuff is gold. This is the stuff people would love to have. I get to walk with this person, know this person. I got their cell phone number. Man, well, we would do that with those kinds of areas. But then when you have somebody like Josh uh, over students and Juleen with the kids, we kind of, then I'll have them help me in discipling my children. Or when, when it works with my schedule, then I'll have my kids participate in those activities and those events. And, and maybe that's just my assessment. Maybe I'm wrong in that. But if that is true, I think that helps to demonstrate that we are cool with one side of this conversation, but not with eternal matters. And if there is one priority that we should have above everything, above educational development, which is important, above social development and relational, like well, that's important. We don't want you know, that, that to be dysfunctional. Above... Um, physical growth, and in every area, financial uh, stewardship, all these areas. We want our kids and our teenagers to understand those things. But what about spiritual? Because they're under our tutelage for only so long. They're going to get other jobs one day. Like, they may have trained for something and then switched later. But we don't want them switching on Jesus down the road. And so we have an opportunity here. And I, I would say that this just, it's an, it's an example of a of this third weed with Jesus magic because what happens is then we end up, uh, we kind of come to a place, we haven't really been doing the hard work and then we just want to sprinkle Jesus on top and hope that he fixes our kids' problems or our own problems. And so my challenge for us is to recognize and to take to heart Joshua twenty four fifteen. It says, choose this day whom you will serve. Will it be the gods of this world or will it be the one true God. If we want to enact and actually cut out this weed, it will require a restructuring of our commitments. And this is an example of, well, now that weed is growing. It's not just like, let me just snip this out. It's a side hustle or it's, it's a hobby. Haven't really got into it. Didn't make any money with it. Yeah, I'll just stop doing that. Well, 
now we're talking stuff that's like, oh, I got I to gotta change my schedule around. I need to rethink how I do things. And just like a weed when it gets bigger and requires more work, like at my house, to cut out, if we start going down that track, things start to get a little more intense. And this leads us to the fourth weed that I'd say is actually the most intense and can, can require the most work and, uh, and is most difficult. And, and it's an example that when you, when you don't take care of stuff early, it grows into something that has a lot bigger effects. It has a lot more fallout. It hurts a lot more. The reward is totally worth it. So you got to remember that and get coached with that. With those of you who've walked with the Lord for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, coach us in that. But it does hurt a little more. So let's read this last section of the story. It says, And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This shows me a fourth weed. Before I tell you, though, I, I do want to say because this passage named three statements that should be our prayers for our own lives, but definitely for our church. These are, these are the prayers. So in verse 11, that phrase was, everyone was encountering God. I love it. Just that idea. Uh, or the, the phrase is, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. But everyone's encountering God. That's a prayer we should have for our church. If you're looking, how do I pray for my church this week? That's one, use verse 11. Another one is verse 17. We just read it a moment ago. It says, the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Pray that his name is lifted up, that it's magnified above all else. And then that last verse we read, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Pray that verse over our church, that it would increase and prevail mightily as we proclaim God's, God's word, all right? So with that, that's, that's just something I, I, I observed in that passage. But this leads us to the fourth weed, and that is the general but the urgent element of unholy behavior, right? That which is unbecoming of the manner in which we were called as followers of Christ. We're talking in broad strokes, but this hits in different areas. We're talking sexual sin in all areas from from minute to gross and, uh, and awful. Uh, we're talking getting drunk, gambling, gossip, wasteful spending, a lifestyle that even our unredeemed culture looks at and goes, ooh, I don't know about that one. That's, that's a problem. As I think about this in the terminology of a weed, I'm reminded of uh, the action or the behavior of adultery. Everyone who is married will face the temptation at least once or more to commit adultery from digital uh, adultery in the form of lust and what, they can, what we can view to uh, physical and emotional commitment where we betray the person we gave our vow to and we give it to another. And when we are faced with that, just like you can see a weed growing from some little thing and you could take care of it right away or it grows into something massive and it requires a lot more work and it's a lot worse. Friends, when it comes to adultery, it, it begins from a, a desire that the enemy plants in our heart and we're like, yeah, I do deserve that or I need that. And then it grows into 
Uh, maybe an interaction on an app from a message, a message you receive. Let's just say you don't even initiate it, but you receive one. Huh, yeah, let me just have this conversation. If you cut it off there, even there, I think that's something where you could, you could talk with your group leader or me and, and, and confess like, this is where I'm at. But some of us, we let it grow and it begins to go more than just that, that quick text or that flirtatious conversation. And then it, and it becomes something more. Then it's a meetup. Oh man, even if you cut it there, the, the, the effects are so minor, but the moment things begin to proceed from there, it, and I'm not advocating for a meetup in an adulterous way by any means. I'm, I'm just saying there's, there's these steps, and anywhere smaller, the fallout is, is small. But the, the moment you allow it to grow, it has devastating effects, and we justify it along the way, and we think this only affects me, but this affects everyone. This affects your spouse. This affects it's sin against Christ. It is sin against your children, and then our church family as a, as a whole. I bring this up because this week, like every one of us or somebody this week will have this sort of temptation brought before them. And every year this happens and this stirs within our church family and, and within the community and people online and all sorts of stuff. And we have to recognize it for what it is. For some of us who are, are dabbling in that, I, I, I would... Uh, urge you to have any, let me know. I will, I will introduce you to somebody in the church who has been betrayed in that way, and you can just listen to their awful story and allow that to, to drop you to your knees and, and plead for forgiveness from Christ and ask for it for the person you're betraying because it is awful. Or, or let me introduce you to the children that have been impacted by this. And it is just wretched across the board. It, it truly fulfills the words of John 10.10 10, where it says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Everything is destroyed in the wake. And so we look at this and this story. They had their magic books and they threw them in like a big bonfire. And in our case, there's all sorts of different things that we must respond and, and, be, be t- and take serious in our faith. And it will grow from not just a weed in this case. Uh, when it's incredibly serious, it'd be more like a giant toxic oak tree in the middle of of your life and you gotta have that thing cut out. So my challenge for you this week, let me, let me summarize real quick these, these, these four in case you kind of lost track. We have doctrinal impurities, spiritual distractions, this Jesus magic that you sprinkle on top of stuff, and then lastly, unholy behavior. All these weeds, we all interact with them in different ways. They come to us in different ways. We can identify those when we read scripture, when we listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, when we ask mature Christians around us, hey, what do you see? Is there stuff like, you know, you learn from others? So we identify those. And I want to urge you to confess that to the Lord. Cut that stuff out. Don't allow that to take root any longer. It is not as sweet and as wonderful as it appears and as it looks. And so to help you uh, grasp this well this week, my challenge for you is when you go home, Look for like a weed. If you're in my case, it doesn't, you don't have to look far. You like step out of the car and there's something. But uh, others of you, you're more, you know, diligent in that way. Maybe you got to go look hard for one. Find a weed, cut it out, and just set it like on your dashboard or on your dresser or somewhere in, in your bathroom or something. And allow yourself to see this and be a visual reminder of this is what uh, can, uh, can begin to grow in my life. And I need to cut these things. 
and just, and, and you know what? If you're hearing all this and you're thinking, God's prompting me in a certain way, I need, to, I need to respond and you're not willing to, then maybe just let that weed sit there and watch it grow. Because in the same way that it's sitting there and it's slowly growing and maybe gonna become this bush of a monster, well, that same thing is stirring and growing in your spiritual life and we must cut it out in the same way that these guys here in Ephesus did. And that's how we're going to end. I meant to, to, Maddie, I meant to ask you up here a moment ago, uh, you know, uh, away from, uh, I know, I know, I know, too, too busy roasting. Um, yeah, so I know that's heavy, and what's wonderful is now we can worship and take this to the Lord, allow this, this moment to respond. Over here on your right, there's the cross with all these different index cards. You can use this if you just like to write stuff down and you can set it at the cross. We're not gonna read that stuff. We're not gonna get into it. We'll just collect it and throw it out afterwards and like treat it the way you have. I'm just taking it to the cross. If you have other stuff in your life that you need to have more, uh, a deeper conversation with in confession of sin or talking something out, talk with me or your group leader or other pastors on our team to be able to work through this as a church. Let me pray for us.